Welcome everyone to week two. Everything okay? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Gary, Gary's going to have some editing to do. <laughs> I love it. Sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> With that, Father, we thank you for this incredible opportunity to get around your word and to figure out how to, how to read it, how to interpret it, and how to, to really get the the meat out of what you have to say to us. And so, Father, we pray that you would be with us, that you would um, give us the tools that we need, and, Father, that it would be a blessing for our, our study of the Bible, our devotional times. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. So for those who don't know me, I'm Kathy, and Hello, I'm Kathy. married to the amazing Raymond. <laughs> and um, today we're going to be talking about tools for the task. So these are some practical things that we can look at. There are kind of two parts to this. One is the tools for the interpreter. So as you're sitting, and how do we how do we actually interpret the Bible? And then some practical uh, tools that we can use to do that. And um, so before we get going on that, I just thought it'd be good to hear some feedback from last week. If anyone would like to just chat about how they felt and what they got out of it, any sort of aha moments for you? Anyone? You can think about it. Maybe you want to add it at the end. Cool. Awesome. So we're going to get started. So... The first thing that we want to talk about today is why we study the Bible. So the reason we study the Bible is because it really does form what we believe or our theology. And that informs how we act and how we work that out in our lives. So the application of what we believe. And um, for those people who might say, well, I'm, I'm not a theologian, I don't do theology, that's not really true because theology is really your belief system. And so when you say that you do theology, that's just the practical outworking of what you actually do believe. And um, the primary goal of studying the Bible and getting into a theological understanding and, and doing all of this is so that we can know God better. It's not an academic exercise. It's not so that we, we know more and that we can say we've you know, got points because you know, I know more scriptures than you and I know how to interpret. That's not the goal. And although that is a wonderful byproduct, we do know more about the scriptures and we understand them better. It's really to know him, to become more intimately acquainted with him, as Paul so beautifully writes in Philippians. And that is our goal. And um, I just want to give Kevin Smith credit because he's helped me put a lot of this together um, with his articles and so a lot of the stuff you're going to be seeing is from that and so I just wanted to start with some practical ways in which we go about interpreting the scriptures. So there are three kind of main ways or categories of studying the Bible and those are up here for you to have a look at um, but the first one is devotional. So this is a more personal, kind of more relaxed approach. This is when you are reading a Bible at home and you're just wanting to build your relationship with God and there's, there's no real formal process to that. And we often find that people will use dynamic translations for that. So that's kind of a little bit more loose, not word for word translations. And uh, you will might journal with that. You might do a whole lot of things. So um, that's our daily discipline, how we form our faith, our spiritual formation, if you like. Then we have expository. So expository is when we interpret a passage and we find its purpose and its meaning. And then exegetical, which is a more critical interpretation. So you're going to find this more when you really are digging into a text some more. And you might find that in a preach. And it's just a bit more of a critical look at what the scriptures are in fact saying. So that brings us to the goal of interpretation. And Kevin Smith says that your method of interpretation always determines your doctrinal beliefs. 
And I think he is right. Hermeneutics really is about applying principles and rules to how we look at the Bible. And so we are able to form those doctrines and make sure that those are on a strong foundation and that we're not just running away with some of our own thoughts and, and not really getting the heart of what God is actually trying to communicate to us through the scripture. So the very first thing that we will be looking at when you sit down and you're trying to interpret the scripture is you want to find out what is the author intended meaning. So what does the author mean and what do they intend to say to the people that they're writing to and uh, ultimately to us? Although the Bible isn't written to us, remember, it's written for us. So some of what we are going to get from that is, is going to be derived from things like context, history, understanding those things. Then the author intended message. Okay, so that comes with putting all of those things together. We get that message from the author. That message might be easily derived from what the person writing actually said at the time to the people. And sometimes we've got to kind of pull that out a little bit more from the text that we're studying. And then finding universal truths. So what I mean by that is that when we're reading something that's in a context, remember many of these scriptures were written thousands and thousands, so not just 2,000, we're looking at many more thousand years ago. And so it's really so far removed from where we are today. So how do we pull that towards where we are now? Well, a lot of those truths are timeless. So we can then pull that out and we can say, okay, well, what can apply to me? now so like something as simple as like love the lord your god with all your heart that's a kind of timeless principle it's going to carry and stand the test of time something um that might be a bit more contextual so you it would only have applied then in that time frame it might not be helpful for you now but it's so we don't need to kind of nitpick all of those things um then application so how do we apply that to our lives today, how do we apply texts that are so old and ancient and a people that are so far removed and cultures that are different and all of that. So we can do that and part of our devotional study is also finding ways to apply it. Okay. So what are some interpretation steps that we can take? Because it just helps us to be able to work methodically through some of those things so it's going the wrong way sorry about that but this is important because of this gap that we were talking about so we have to ask ourselves some questions take some steps so that we can just go through it one thing at a time especially when you're reading the old testament i'm sure many people find that a little bit more challenging and i certainly did when i started this journey and i have some good news for you it gets easier all the time and with the help of the holy spirit he helps us understand these things. And so there are some three helpful steps that we can take. The first one is observation. And that's just really reading the text and then just pulling out what's there. And so what is the text actually saying? That's the question we're asking ourselves. And so when we read the text, we need to ask some questions. And so the questions that we need to ask are the following. Who wrote the text. So who's the author? And sometimes it's not clear who the author is, and that's where you will dig into some of the tools that we'll talk about later to get you some help with that. Um, some of the Bibles that we have today, even the ones that are not study Bibles, do have a little bit of an introduction, so you might get a clue from those as well. And who is it written to? That's really, really important. I'm just trying to open my Bible. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. Okay, so who's it written to? No, no. <laughs> that's all good. <laughs> I made sure that I was on silent before because that's probably what happened to me. So, um, yeah. Airplane mode, indeed. <laughs> awesome, guys. So who's it written to? Um, that's really important because there are some things that are written to a group of people that are specific to them, um, although we are able to get things out of that as well. Then what is the context? What is the main idea? What is the author trying to say? When was it written? Really important to know the history and the context and what was happening at the time. And it's quite fun to actually, if you go and take the, the year that it 
something was written and then you just, what was happening at that time. So that's really helpful. And um, where was the author and where was the audience? So um, those two things don't always correlate and, and it is also helpful to have that information. And then how? How do we apply what we're reading? How do we understand what we're reading and how do we interact with that text? But the next step that we can take is interpretation. And so that's really just asking, what does this mean? So we want to know what does this mean for the readers? So what, would this, what were people reading this understanding when they were reading the text? And then we can then start to ask the question, why? A little bit of a harder question to answer, but why was it written? Why were they saying what they're saying? Um, why is it put in that way? So you can put that why question in lots of different ways. And then we have spoken a little bit about application, but what does the text mean for us today? And this means converting time-bound messages to a more timeless, universal truth that we spoke about and applying it. And then I would just add in here that scripture should interpret scripture. So if you're struggling with a text and you're thinking, yeah, I don't know, this doesn't, I'm not understanding this, or it doesn't make sense, or it doesn't seem to fit things I already understand and already know, then you can start looking at other scriptures to help you to identify the problem. And soon it'll start to become clear. Okay, everyone good? Cool. Um, right, so the next one's very important. Oh, sorry, let me go back. Um, is that is having a right view of scripture. Um, the right view of scripture is, is really, really key. Sorry, I'm getting my... Um, because when we approach the task of interpreting a text, if we don't have the right view of scripture, we're not going to get the right interpretation out of it. I'm sure you'll agree. But So the main thing here is that we have a high view of scripture, that we see scripture as God-breathed, we see it as infallible, and we see it as having authority in our lives. Because when we do that, then we are going to not only interpret it well, but we're going to be able to take that on in our own hearts and minds and then apply that well. Okay. Um, if we have a low view of Scripture, then what we might do is come to the conclusion that the Scripture doesn't have a perfect record, that it doesn't have authority over our lives, and then, of course, we won't feel bound in any way to follow what it says. And then I think almost like you might as well not, like it's just then a bunch of stories and cool things, words thrown together. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 14 to 17, I just want to read that to you. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. So it's important then that we see the scripture in three main ways. That is, the first one, that it's, it's truthful and it's infallible because it is God-breathed and inspired by God. Raymond spoke really well about that last week where he was talking us through how the scriptures came to be and why we consider them to be God-breathed and divinely inspired. So the Holy Spirit is the author of the scriptures. And so because he's the author, we can trust that this is a truthful document, that the words are accurate that, the, that everything lines up and that it's actually going to have benefit for us. The second one is that it has purpose. And uh, we've just read that scripture, but it's useful for correction, for teaching and equipping us for good works. And it helps us to know God more fully. And, you know, we know scriptures like it's, you know, the double-edged sword and it divides marrow and the bone. And the word of God under the power of the spirit is a really powerful tool. That's why... It's described as well as the sword of the spirit that we use. And when Jesus was tempted in the desert, he used the word of God to fob off the enemy. Okay, and it has authority. 
because it is God's word to us. And if it's not God's word to us, then really it doesn't have that authority over us. And that means that when we read the word, then we follow him, or we serve him, and we obey him. Okay. So there are some unhelpful approaches to interpretation that can hamper our progress a little bit. And um, if we use these approaches, then we might find that our interpretation starts to get a little fuzzy, or maybe it's completely wrong, and we will then, that impacts on our theology and our belief system and our doctrines and, and then how we behave as a result. So here are some of those unhelpful approaches that we want to avoid. So the first is an overly literal approach. So what that basically means is that there's like a word, you're reading things word for word, and you exactly what's written in front of you, you're interpreting that as the meaning. And of course, we know that when we read a book or when we're reading anything, we use figurative language. That's a common tool in most languages. So metaphors and similes and images and word pictures is a very common tool. So there is a, an understanding that that's embedded into the language. So when you read it, you might interpret it literally with that in mind. An overly literal approach is when you pedantically take each word and you interpret it exactly as it says. Okay, so that can lead to some very interesting um, problems, like when you read Song of Songs and you read about goat's hair and um, teeth, and it just gets messy. And we don't want to be doing that. Also, Nicodemus, when he comes to Jesus and Jesus says that you must be born again, and he asks a question, must I be born again a second time, go back into my mother's womb? And you can see he's having an overly literal approach to the scripture, which Jesus helps him correct. The second one is an allegorical approach, and this is where we spiritualize the text, and we put onto the text a meaning that was never really meant to be there. And this tends to strip the word of its authoritative meaning. Okay, so when we start applying our own kind of ideas to what the text looks like, then obviously we can go quite wrong quite quickly. And so the primary reading of the text and meaning of the text is singular. It, it's meant to be how it was written and what it means usually stays pretty much the same. So the application of meaning can become quite random if we start allegorizing. And an example from Dr. John MacArthur that he uh, heard someone preaching was this one from a preach about Nehemiah. And I'll read it to you. Jerusalem's walls were in ruin, and that speaks of the broken down walls of the human personality. Nehemiah represents the Holy Spirit, who comes to rebuild the walls of the human personality. When he got to the king's pool, he said this meant the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and then from there he went on to teach the importance of speaking in tongues. <laughs> Here we start seeing the problem. So an overly allegorical approach is not helpful. It doesn't mean that allegory is always a bad tool. It can be a helpful tool. Paul does, in fact, use it when he speaks about Tamar, sorry, Hagar and Sarah, when he's talking about the two covenants. So sometimes it is useful, but it does need to be well uh, executed. And generally the scriptures do it already. So where Paul starts arguing, you'll find it's already there. Then an overly devotional approach. So we spoke about the devotional um, style of interpretation, which is perfectly good and perfectly fine. But when you overly execute that, that starts to become a problem because then you are approaching the text too informally. Um, you will then start taking words that are written to a specific group and in a specific context and applying them to you. So saying that that, that means that that's me. So you start putting your name in it or your house or I don't know. So things like that. So um, that is not helpful. It means that we are going to stray off the path in terms of our correct interpretation. And you often find this when you are leaning too heavily on a more dynamic translation of the Bible. So that's a bit more of a loose translation. And then um, the over-rational approach. So this is when we rationalize supernatural and spiritual things. And we, that approach is not going to be helpful for us because obviously the Word of God is divinely inspired 
by a supernatural God who does supernatural things. And so some examples of that is Jesus' death, for example. There are some that teach that Jesus didn't in fact die, that he went into a coma. And then he stayed there, and because he woke up from this coma, that is actually in fact why he wasn't there anymore, not that he rose again. And then the other one that I've heard about is the one about the parting of the Red Sea, that in fact it was tides and winds and just this serendipitous moment where things came together in perfect timing. Um, obviously that takes away from some supernatural things that God was working, and we want to keep that in place. So some practical tools. That's the stuff we want to have in our tool belt, the, the, the spanners and the things that make it easy for us to, to work with the Bible. And so we're going to start with Bible translations. Raymond touched on this last week, and we spent a little bit of time on that. So I don't want to uh, spend too much time on it, but it is good to have, when you're looking at the Bible, a couple of translations. And these days, because we have wonderful tech tools and online uh, software that we can use, uh, it makes it a lot easier. So you don't have to haul around these heavy books. And so I'm quite grateful for that. And um, even when you're just, you know, sitting at home having your devotions, you can have a look at a couple of translations and, and see something written differently, worded differently. And you might just get something new out of it that you weren't getting before. Um, there are many translations and they are on a scale and so some of them are very literal, and some of them are dynamic, which is, we've spoke about that. Uh, it's a bit fuzzy, but um, on this side, you can see the very literal translations, and that's like word for word. So they try to keep it as close to the text, the original language text, as they can. And so those are like New King James Version, New American Standard Bible, and then Moving closer in, it's fairly literal, the ESV, so that's the English Standard Version. And um, then the fairly dynamic is the NIV. I was actually quite surprised to find the NIV in that spot. I would have put the NIV closer on this side, but who knew? Um, and there's a Net Bible, which we'll come to later, but the Net Bible is a good uh, online tool that you can use. Um, and they have some really amazing things that you can get access to, which I'll chat about later. And then very dynamic, which means it's more thought for thought. And so those are New Living Translation, Good News Bible, and then paraphrases. Now, paraphrases, it's the, literally the person who's written it has put it into their own words. And so what you have there is it's going to be quite far away from this. So that's not something you want to have as your go-to Bible. That's something you want to refer to from time to time when you just want to get a scripture read with a little bit of a different nuance. Um, and what's not on here is the Passion Bible because this was – <laughs> I don't – yeah, maybe. It is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think I would agree. I would probably put it closer to that. Very loose paraphrase. Um, so where you can see that <laughs> – what I would do, just to help you with it, if you're not sure and you're a bit worried and you're like, oh, am I, am I not with the right translation? Sometimes just take, take like an NIV and, and say the passion and put them together and take some key texts, like really central texts are the kind of things you want to hold closely and tightly in your hand um, and, and just compare them and have a look at and, and say, is it, is it quite the same? And, and watch for where they're actually shifting the meaning because then, then that becomes a little unhelpful. So um, not that you can't use it, passion, uh, I'm going to call it passion paraphrase, it's not really a translation. Um, there's nothing wrong with using that, but you need to just know that that might throw the meaning off quite a bit. Um, right, so the next tool that we can use, yes, of course. So um, I think in our circles, most times um, hearing people using the ESV, the English Standard Version, they've moved. It was the NIV for a long time, and um, 
that's moved to the English Standard Version largely because it's a little bit more literal um, and more accurate because of that. Um, nothing wrong with the NIV, of course. So, so one of the reasons that the ESV, one of the reasons that the ESV has come to the fore, is because it uses a whole lot of fairly recently discovered texts, like the Quran texts, and and there there was more source material to work from. And and it's actually, in many respects, um, quite a lot closer to the original thought than, for example, the NIV. Strangely. The New King James, by comparison, is an English translation of the King James, which is a translation of the Vulgate. Um, mm, Latin Vulgate. Literally, originally written in Latin. Um, and that, that relied on the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Hebrew version. So this is several photocopies down. Not that it's a bad translation, it's not. But, but in terms of scholarship and in terms of um, accessibility and, and reliability, uh, I would put the ESV and NIV far ahead of that. Mm. But, it's, but it's also, people, you know, it's like, you get people who like a Toyota, and they'll never buy anything but a Toyota. And, and people get like that about their Bibles too. Um, I read an extract recently from the original King James Version, and I couldn't understand it at all. That was what was written in the 1800s. <laughs> it, was, it was, I would never have understood it. Yeah. So, and, and this is actually just um, Gen 3 of that text. Mm. Yeah, um, I've also uh, read some articles about the NIV where the, the Greek pronouns that they use uh, are not necessarily interpreted the way that the Greek means, means it to be. So like particularly your gender pronouns often get mixed up a little bit um, or are misapplied. And, you know, it's very difficult when you're trying to translate from a language into another language because, as Raymond uh, discuss so well, you, you know, it's something said, like we, we're just used to saying something and we, it carries a whole lot of meaning that we're used to in a phrase, but now you're trying to put that in another language and it's quite difficult to convey those things. So um, that's where your translations are really actually probably the most important. If you're going to do anything, get a good translation. Um, and, you know, that's just helps with your interpretation. Um, I'm hearing a lot of preaching coming, uh, you know, through now where there's a lot of quoting happening from the Passion Translation paraphrase, but uh, which is fine. But you, you've got to know that some of that stuff, when you when you compare text for text, it's actually quite different. Um, and so it, we just need to be aware of those things. So. The next thing that we can use, if there, if there are no other questions on translations, is uh, something called a Bible concordance. So a concordance is a super helpful tool because this allows you to search for words or phrases and scriptures if you are wanting to, particularly if you're wanting to do a topical study, this is really, really helpful. It gives you more in-depth options and you can use keywords to do that. So typically, a concordance has four features. So we've got the alphabetical word list, which you can see here. Um, and then you have the scriptures as well over there. And then over here, you have some numbers. And those numbers are referring to the Greek or the Hebrew uh, words um, that have them listed in their numbers. Okay, and um, Greek lexicon dictionaries also there are. Some Bibles that have those as well. In the concordances, you'll find them. And here is just another example. Okay. All right. So there are some also good software available. Uh, BibleWorks, Bible Gateway, eSword, Logos, Bible Software. Um, Raymond uses an app uh, called Olatry Bible, which I think is also available on on desktops and things like that. It's a fantastic um, option to use. Um, it just has so much available. You can get commentaries in there, you can get um, concordances as well, and you can get access to dictionaries and um, 
you can parallel one version with another. So, and that's all in the app. So the next slide gives you a sense of what you can get with a concordance option with the Olive Tree Bible app. Okay, so this is an online option. All right. Can I just comment? Sure. Um, if you're going to look at an online source, either on your phone or laptop or tablet or PC, the two to look at very closely are the um, Olive Tree Bible Study app and Logos. Those are probably the two most um, resourced. Yes. So, um, what I love about Olive Tree Bible Study app is I've got the ESV version with the Strong's Concordance built into it. So I can literally touch any word, and there's the Greek definition, there's the Greek word, there's the definition, and there are the related words. I can go on to the related words, and there it is. And I can, I can then immediately search where it's found elsewhere in Scripture, and by just going like this, I can now haul out a commentary on that text, and I've got four or five commentaries. So I can do an in-depth Bible study on a verse in a matter of minutes with all modern resources at my disposal. Some of the resources are free and some of them cost money, but they're way cheaper than buying books. And much yeah. easier to handle. <laughs> so the average concordance is literally like this big, that thick. So you, it's much easier using an app or a phone or a device or whatever. So one yeah. last thing. Probably the best thing about this app, apart from from the incredible resources that are available to you, is you can make notes. Yeah. Yeah, and highlights. And, and, and you can highlight it and you can do all kinds mm. of stuff. So what I'm finding now is I started using it lots of years ago. And when I'm reading a text, I often come across notes that I wrote years ago. Yeah. And I would never see them again. Mm. Um, and some of it's like, wow, that's actually really quite interesting. And it ties up with something else I've been reading and you can supplement yeah. it. And um, it really is just an incredible... Thing. Yeah. So get Logos or Bible Study app. They're really worth it. Yeah. And, you, and with the highlights, you can actually assign different colors, which means that if you, let's say you want to do a thematic uh, search or you want to study the Bible thematically, you can say anything relating to the cross is in like red, um, anything relating to grace is in yellow, and, and so it goes on. So then you can, whenever you want to search your highlights, you just search the color and it'll come up. So that's really helpful as well. And then a study Bible is another fantastic tool. If you haven't ever used one, I encourage you to get one. I particularly use my study Bible when I'm really wanting to just have a bit more of an in-depth study. And then I use a, a different Bible when I just want to read. And I just want to be spending time with God and you know, journaling and all those things. So a study Bible is great because it usually has a whole lot of tools in it that you can use. So if you can't get a concordance and all those things, often those things are in there. Um, so they have maps and they have introductions and they have um, a, a little bit of a history. Mine's got some history, background, culture, gives you the context as well. Um, there's a dictionary at the back and a concordance at the back. Um, it's got good cross-references. And what's nice about a study Bible is that scholars have got together and theologians have got together and they've teamed the the commentaries. So what you're getting is just really a collection of, of commentary notes that are from some serious theologians who have done the hard yards so you don't have to, which is really wonderful. So there's cross-referencing, um, notes, introductions, concordances, and devotional study Bibles. So they're, they're like you'll see, you know, devotional study for women or something. And they'll have little pop-up notes in those Bibles, which give you some devotional stuff that you can do. Okay. And so here is just an example of one that's kind of the basic layout. So they have the scripture at the top, as you can see. And then the, these are the commentary notes at the bottom. And then the cross-reference tools over there. And then you can find the introductions obviously right at the beginning of each book. Okay, then a Bible dictionary, not quite 
uh, the normal dictionary, like you would think. Um, the Bible dictionary actually gives you information, and it's a collection of articles that you can find on a range of topics that you're going to find when you're reading the Bible. And so this is a really great tool to look up something you're not quite sure what that means or what is, how does that work. Um, so everything from history to geography to culture, it's all in there. Um, and there are also fantastic online options for that. Um, the one is the New Bible Dictionary. It's a third edition, which is recommended. And the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. Um, so these, that's more of a reference tool. You're not going to sit with that all the time. Um, and eSword is another option. Easton's Bible Dictionary, Olive Tree Bible, as we've spoken about already. And here is an example of one where you want to make a search. So we've looked up Acts of the Apostles in this particular option. And then it gives you a whole lot of information about the Acts of the Apostles. So talks about the term, what is the term, how is it used, why was it used, how did it become common, um, and then talks about the authorship, um, and we talk about Luke, the beloved physician, and it goes a whole into quite a lot of depth, which is really helpful. And remember, this is a, a supplement to your own reading and interpretation. Okay, and then the next one is Bible commentaries. So we've spoken about commentaries. So these are notes made by people who have now gone and done the hard yards and they've studied and they've worked and they've looked at the scriptures and they've, they've put together the notes of what their thoughts are, their interpretations on what they've been looking at. And you'll see their analysis and their comments. Um, I have to say they're not all equal. So it is important to find a, a good commentary, which I think, Ray, you can comment on. So, for example, um, there's, a, I think, the John MacArthur uh, commentary, which there's some things in there that that's kind of a little bit more old school, and there's been quite a lot of progress made in some of those those interpretations. Uh, some new stuff's come out, like the ESCB. They've got some new documents. So they've changed a little bit. So that that has now moved on a little bit. Um, the Matthew, Matthew Henry commentary is really good. And Matthew Henry, yeah, um, a separate. So this is a separate commentary. So, so you can use something in your Bible study, uh, your study Bible, should I say? Um, and those are very good and helpful. But it is helpful to also look at a separate commentary. There will be a lot more detail. There'll be a lot more information in there. Um, but as with all these things, these are supplements. So the first goal is that you are reading the scripture yourself and that you are interpreting it yourself first. And then you go and you have a look at the commentary afterwards. And then you can start saying, okay, okay, I'm starting to understand that better. Or, hey, I actually got that. I was quite close. I understood that quite well. So that is important. Um, then you can jot down your own thoughts and, and put them down. Um, the next one is cross-referencing. And... I don't know if you can see it too clearly, but if you look in your most Bibles, that's the text, and then they've got the cross-references there. And the, you'll, you'll notice as you're reading the text, there's like there's little letters next to the text that you're reading, and they correlate with letters that you'll find in there. And also they give you the verse number to kind of help you track it. And then what happens is then that will give you a list of scriptures that you can go and look at that relate to that verse. What's really important when you're cross-referencing is that you make sure that what you're reading about, and so the subject matter in the text that you're looking at, and the subject matter for the other verse is the same. Because otherwise you're going to, it's not gonna really be very helpful for you. And um, an example of that is, I'm just gonna read from Romans 1.16. So it says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And then the cross-reference for that is 1 Corinthians 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So you can see those two have a, a similar subject that you're looking at. So you want to make sure that those two things are more or less the same. Any questions at this point? Awesome. So that's pretty much all the tools that you'll need. Um, 
Um, I'd, thank, I'd like Raymond to comment on the commentaries because there are lots of different ones to use and he, he uses a lot of them. Um, and it's just helpful to have that information. While that's happening, uh, these, this, is gonna, this is a worksheet I've got for you guys to, to use. If you are looking, watching online, we will make that available for you in the description box. So have a look at that. And you can just take this home with you and then just have a look at some scriptures yourself. And this just gives you some of these things that we've covered, some steps that you can follow, questions that you can ask. And then you can bring that back next week and we can just talk about how, how that helped you, if, if you found it helpful, and if you got more out of it than you expected. Yeah. Cool. Right? So um, that was really good. Thank you. You're welcome. No, don't, don't I'm not going to. Yeah. There you go. Do you want to pass those around? Thank you. So I, I make use of the ESV study Bible notes by Crossway. Um, very good commentary for the New Testament. Um, I have two that are that are quite far apart, um, which is useful for for comparison. The RVP uh, Bible background commentary of the New Testament by Craig Keener. He's an up-and-coming uh, New Testament scholar. Also, the Jewish New Testament uh, by David Stern. The Jewish New Testament commentary gives a Jewish perspective uh, from, a, from a Messianic Jewish perspective that's very interesting. Um, the traditional ones, like Matthew Henry, there are others as well. But there's no shortage of, of decent commentaries. You just have to look. In, in regard to what we covered last week, what, what are some big ideas that jumped out at you? And we're going to explore that a little bit. Yeah. Context is key. What, what struck you about the discussion on context that changed the way or influenced the way that you're going to read the Bible? That's really good. Yeah. Literary, all of those things. Cool. That's really good. Biblical. What else jumped out last week? We spent over an hour on it. Something must have jumped out, for goodness sakes. Do I need to revise how we do this? Nothing? Nothing? Context is one thing. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's fantastic. So one of the tools I'll be discussing a little bit next week, perhaps, um, is, is getting, getting into a body of, of writers, theologians. Not necessarily heavy stuff, but, but people who write about the Bible and write about Christian stuff. And they will frequently refer to source material um, that is not necessarily part of the Bible. Like, for example... Um, books written in the intertestamental period between the writing of Malachi and the writing of, of the Gospels. Um, one of those authors, you'll hear me referring to him frequently, is a guy called Michael Heiser, and he makes quite an extensive study of some of the um, extra-biblical texts. They're not, they don't, they're not part of the canon. We don't regard them as inspired by God, but they're helpful. Um, and... And one of them is, is en the book of Enoch. Now, Enoch's actually four different books. It's not one. And only one of them is really, really helpful. Um, but, but both Peter and Jude lift chunks out of, of the book of Enoch and stick it in the Bible. Almost word for word. So it is actually helpful to understand what was happening um, in those texts. It's going, to interfere, it's going to interest some people more than others. It's absolutely fine. You can definitely understand your Bible without getting into any of that stuff. But it does make, make things a little bit more interesting. Yeah, fantastic question. So, um, yeah, we have to bear in mind that the, the Bible is ancient. It wasn't written last year. 
So understanding some of the biblical context, some of the historical context is really helpful. Um, there's, there's just also some other stuff to think about when you're interpreting, and that is uh, what they call the, the Christological principle. So basically what that means is that Jesus is the unifying center of the canon. And so when we interpret the Bible, Jesus himself says that I'm doing things that are written about me. So that means that there's stuff that we read about in the Old Testament that points to him. And so when we keep that in the center of our minds, when we read the Old Testament, we are reading it through that lens. And then so we're looking at that as the why Jesus is saying and doing what he's doing. And then we can go back and look at what is Jesus saying and doing. And then after the Gospels, you get Acts through to Revelation. And that is looking at how the church uh, interpreted what Jesus said and did. So that's really quite important that we ha keep that front and center, that Jesus is the unifying center of everything. And when we look at everything through that lens, it helps us stay on track in our modern era. And especially now that we are in the New Testament age. Yeah. And that really helps. The other thing is, is that we don't dismiss things like science, for example, Absolutely. when we when we are looking at engaging with the Bible and then looking at our modern world. We don't have to throw those things away. They are legitimate because God created all things and he created us with minds. And so so there is a lot of good stuff that is in science and other things that, that we can draw on. And that's actually quite helpful for us. So um, don't dismiss those things out of hand either. Um, and that's where context also becomes um, important for our modern world. How do we then find the context valuable in our modern world as well? One, one last thought on tools. Um, when I read the Bible, I, I'll read a, a text, and I, I frequently go on a bit of a, uh, a down rabbit holes and, and look, look at all different things and come back and, and, and read it in quite a lot of detail. But, but sometimes in that process, you can miss the bigger picture. So a, a fantastic tool is to use the e-Bibles that have an audio function where they actually read it aloud. And you can have that going while you're driving in the car or doing other stuff, and it kind of just washes over you. So you don't have the opportunity like I do to run down uh, rabbit holes but you get the whole picture. And often after listening to uh, a whole gospel being read out alive, uh, aloud, I'll have a completely dif different perspective on one aspect of it. Any other questions? Yes, Tony? made me excited again, or just, okay. it's made me realize the incredible privilege we have, number one, to read a, to read a Bible, because there are thousands of people all over the world and countries where you can't have access to a Bible. Mm, true. And number two, it's just got me excited, even though I've read the Bible many times, it's got me excited again that we can just delve into it, we've got it on, on our fingertips, and so even though it might not be one particular thing that you've you guys have spoken about it. Something's happening inside which I can't explain. That's really just awesome. Reviving Fantastic. excitement to unlock. Does it make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That's makes great. Thanks you guys. It's wonderful what you're, <laughs> Thank what you're imparting. That's awesome. Doing something like little shifts are going to come up from Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Dawn. That's great. Hey. Uh, maybe I was asking you what, how much time do you spend memorizing? Right. If you'd asked me that 20 years ago, I'd say quite a bit. Um, I, I don't do that anymore, not because it's not the best thing to do, because it's a really good thing to do, but because my hands are so full of so many other things. But um, it, it's, it's an absolutely fantastic practice. Um, there are actually books that, that show, give you techniques on how to memorize scripture. And it's, uh, I, I have been poorer for not doing it. Because there are times where I know when I'll be discussing something, and I know that there's something on it, and I can think of some of the words, but I don't, I don't have it at my fingertips. Um, Rory Dyer is at the moment in the process of memorizing the entire Bible, all of it. And, and when you talk to the guy, 
he's got it at his fingertips. It makes a big difference, you know. Um, it also it also physically rewires your brain. So I remember I remember chatting to uh, a guy called uh, Peter Watt, not not Peter Watt from our circles, another chap in, in um, a different church movement. And he was friends with a, a guy who'd been a CEO, a high-powered guy. He'd had a very debilitating stroke, like a significant stroke. And it, is, it slowed him right down. He could only speak very slowly, could only read very slowly. And, and he was in deep despair. He was profoundly depressed by his circumstances. And he, he sat with Peter one day and said, I, I don't know what to do. What can I do? And Peter said to him, what we might regard as kind of a pat Christian response, he said, read your Bible. And, and the guy was angry with him, like angry, angry with him. He said, how dare you? I'm, I'm talking about something really serious in you. Brush me off with this nonsense. But he did. And he started reading the Bible. And, and something odd happened. The more he read it, the faster he read it. And, and slowly, over a period of time, months and years, it, it restored his mind physically. Now, we know, because there's a lot of research on this recently, Sandy can speak to this more accurately than I can, um, on, on great strides that have been taken in research into neuroplasticity and the ability of the brain to regenerate neural pathways where there's been physical damage to the brain. But, but actually, we, the, reading the Bible changes the way you think in a physical sense. Not just, not just in a theoretical sense, it physically changes the structure of your brain. Reading anything does, but, but it, if we immerse ourselves in the Bible, it will, it will change the way that your, your, your brain thinks about things. I'm, I'm going to go a little bit off, off line here, if I may, or, or off topic. You know there's a text that says... <clears throat> Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay? And, and if you then think that to repent, metanoia, means to think differently, to change your mind, to think differently about a thing. If, if that is our definition, then, then repentance means to think about a thing the way that God thinks about a thing. And how do we know that how God thinks about a thing? Well, it's in the Bible. And, and it's a bit like this. We have a stimulus, any kind of stimulus, something happens, and you will typically respond to that stimulus in the way that you've always responded to it because thoughts are like water. They travel in well-worn paths, trenches, because um, your, 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 your thoughts fire along synapses that, are, that, that have a pattern. When we change the way we think, in other words, we choose to respond to a particular stimulus in a way that is different to the way that we've previously responded to it. It's like you dig a different trench. And at first, that's difficult because when you have a, a shallow trench, water goes all over the place. Only a little bit goes in the trench. But the more you dig in that trench, the deeper it becomes and the more the water is drawn to that. And actually, the way that you respond to the stimuli around you is different. And that's because your brain has physically changed in response to what you dwell on. So, so what you eat, you reproduce. If we're in the Bible, and we're in, in good sources about the Bible, and we're thinking on that which is good and wholesome and true, then our, our thought patterns become like that. If, on the other hand, what we consume is primarily rubbish, then that's what our thought patterns will reproduce, because you, you, you can't expect anything else. What goes in comes out. So um, this, this stuff is, is, is really foundational and important, not only because it's a theoretical insight into how we should live life, but because it transforms our physiological, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual beings to represent God better, which is our calling, is to be true image bearers of what he's like. So, um, so reading the Bible is, is deadly serious, actually, but delightful. <laughs> As well. Brandon, yeah. Can, can you literally recall one of those books that teach effectively how to memorize 
Yeah, I've got one downloaded on my Bible app. I'll send it to you. That's the advantage of the, of the app. I've, I've got lots of books on it. Yeah, many. That's awesome. Yeah, I think, um, you know, we worship God in spirit and in truth. And so when, you know, when we study the Bible, what we're doing is we're digging into that truth and we're allowing it to become part of us and part of how we think and part of how we respond to God. And so it's so, so critically important. And the other thing is that we are, what you're saying, Emily, is so key because we're growing from a place of immaturity to a place of maturity. And so we could spend time in, in things that are kind of elemental, easy, and and it, that will be fruitful, but it will only take us so far. And so the Bible talks about the milk that we that we are like uh, infants at our mother's breast. We, if we are just staying in those simple places and with the basics, then we are going to stay there. Yeah. Um, and what... We want to be doing is progressing so that we're getting to the meat of the word, so that we are learning how to chew on that meat and get the most out of it, so that it becomes good for our bodies and that we can grow and mature and, and develop and become like the trees that are planted by the water that are described in, in Psalm 1, um, that those who meditate on the law of the Lord or the, the Bible are like trees planted by those rivers and we want to we our goal in doing all of these equipped gcs is that that everybody comes from they come from one place and they're going and moving forward into that maturity and so that every single one of you come away from this course and that you're able to to interpret the word of god that you're able to help someone else interpret it that you are getting more out of it and that there's some meat that you're chewing on um, so that our theology is strong our doctrine is strong and that we have a good foundation to work off there's, there's one other thing I wanted just to add about why we read the Bible and why we study it. Um, if you see guys who go to gym, or girls who go to gym, if, if they train for short periods only, you'll reach a point where you can't go any bigger. To... to um, for your muscles to go bigger beyond a certain point. I mean, you could, you could do the same training for 20 years, you'll remain the same size. If you want to get bigger than that, you have to train longer with, high, with heavier weights. And, and your brain's quite similar to that. Most of the information that comes our way today, in contrast to 20 years ago, where we didn't have access to social media, most of the information that comes our way comes in in very short bursts. Where, where we don't actually have the opportunity to form our own thoughts about something, we, we, we have to accept or reject the thoughts of others. So that's not always the case, but, but, but actually we're being trained over a period to think less and less effectively because we don't actually have much to work with. We only have uh, weights for a limited duration and of limited weight. When we dive into the Bible, what happens is that we're actually training our brain to think more effectively because we're building arguments and principles and ideas and connecting dots across the whole breadth of scripture. And that takes time and energy and effort. And, and that's not something that we have access to usually on screens that come with the, this, the information that's coming towards us. I, I do quite a lot of work in, uh, in tertiary education um, and I'm, I frequently speak to lecturers and, and people in higher education. And they're finding it more and more difficult to get students to think. Because the way that we interact with the world doesn't encourage the development of that faculty and that skill. And the best way to develop that faculty and that skill is to read. And, and the Western world is becoming increasingly illiterate, not illiterate. They can read. Illiterate, we don't. Because we have so many other alternatives, it's so much easier. And, and actually, re reading and studying the Bible helps us to form neuro new neural pathways in our brains that actually to think more effectively and to engage with the world in a more intelligent way. 
um, it's actually it's like it's like lifting weights for your brain, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and I think um, <laughs> we live in we live as well in a in an age where truth is under assault, um, and it's getting harder and harder to tell what's real, what's not, what's true, what's not. And so, the more you're grounded in the Word of God, the more you can tell what's off. Um, you know, when they look at counterfeit uh, money, what they train them to do actually is to look at the real thing and just keep looking at the real thing. And they, they examine it closely and they spend a lot of time feeling it, looking at it, smelling it. They know exactly what that real thing looks like. And so, when the counterfeit comes, it's very easy to spot. Um, and, and even in church circles, unfortunately, this is true. Um, so it, it does require that we are like the noble Bereans and that we are checking everything according to the scripture to make sure if it is, in fact, true. So, so you don't have to accept everything at, at face value all the time. It's good to interrogate those things. Don't check your brain at the door. Um, and, and it's a balancing act because also we are made for spiritual things and these things are understood spiritually. So there is that element as well. Uh, but both of those coming together become a quite powerful mix and, and we become the hands and feet of Jesus in a real sense because we carry the word of God in us and we can really minister powerfully from that place. Awesome. Any more questions before we wrap up? Awesome, guys. So have a, a little look through those that worksheet and uh, work through that during the course of this week. Love to hear some feedback on how that's been for you. Um, and yeah, we'll see you next week at the same time.